invite you to take your Bibles now and turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 5. And I encourage you to keep it open as we make our way through this chapter this morning. It's a fairly lengthy chapter. I do want to read the whole thing, Daniel, chapter 5. I trust that even for the children, this is a familiar story. The writing is on the wall. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. And the king's countenance changed, and its thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened, and his knees knocked against each other. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple, and have a chain of gold around his neck that he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. And King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel? who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father, the king, brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not give the interpretation of the thing. And I've heard of you, that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing, 
and make known to me its interpretation. You shall be clothed in purple and have a chain of gold round your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, that his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne. And they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, Belshazzar have not humbled your, your heart Although you knew all this, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven, they have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. You have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, and the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways you have not glorified. Then the finger of the hand, where the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written, and this is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, take out you farson. This is the interpretation of each word, Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Take out, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom, has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command. And they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar king of the Chaldeans was slain. Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So far, the reading of God's holy word. What is the most unusual and terrifying thing that you have ever experienced? Mene, mene, take out you farson. Can you imagine what a chilling moment it must have been when a disembodied hand suddenly appeared and wrote those words on the palace wall? Between the fourth and fifth chapters of Daniel, more than 40 years went by. King Nebuchadnezzar died in the year 563 B.C. Several years after his death, a man named Nabonidus came to the throne. Nabonidus was the last king of Babylon. 
From Babylonian documents, we know that Nabonidus entrusted the kingship to his son, Belshazzar, while he himself established his residence at Tima in Arabia. For a number of years, Babylon was governed by a co-regency. Technically, Nabonidus was first in command, but the government was largely left in the hands of his son, Belshazzar. In 1854, a tablet was discovered with, which mentions both Nabonidus and Belshazzar by name and says that Nabonidus entrusted the kingship to Belshazzar. Therefore, Belshazzar was the king that the Hebrews had to deal with, the man with clout in Babylon. Today, as we consider this fifth chapter, I want us to focus on four things. His arrogance. His astonishment his advisor, and his accuser. Notice in the first place the arrogance of Belshazzar. He made a great feast and invited all his friends. What a party! He assembled a thousand of his lords, nobles, and the wine flowed freely. You can be sure that the palace was filled with laughter and merriment. Belshazzar himself drank wine in the presence of the thousand. This is the life. Eat, drink, and be merry. There was no thought of enemy invasion, for the city of Babylon was superbly built and well protected. It had stores of food that would last for years in, times, in a time of siege. Belshazzar felt secure, safe, and well guarded. Let's have a great bash. In his state of success, Belshazzar reminds me of the rich fool in Jesus' parable. What did the rich fool say to himself, children? You remember? You have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? You fool. Belshazzar was a fool indeed. Why did he make this great feast? Why did he assemble a thousand lords? It seems clear from his conduct at the feast that this was really nothing more than the display of his own inflated ego. Verse 1 says that he drank wine in the presence of, in front of, the thousand. The words seem to indicate that he was the center of attention. He was not just sipping a little wine, enjoying the taste while others looked on. No, brothers and sisters, before all the guests, he began to drink himself under the table as a demonstration of his manliness. Such conduct was rather common in ancient Babylon. When I was in trade school, all the guys would get together at the pub after school and demonstrate their bravado by how much they could drink. The next day at school, we would all hear the, the tall stories about who was the hardest drinker. They prided themselves in their ability to consume great amounts of alcohol. Real men. Real men. Well, that seems to have been the case here when we read that Belshazzar drank wine in the presence of the thousand. His drinking of wine was the occasion of the wickedness which followed. 
at the height of the party. When the king began to feel the influence of the wine, he made a very foolish and fatal mistake. In his arrogance, he commanded his servants to do what? Look at verse 2. Bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Why would Nebuchadnezzar do such a thing? Why would he do such a thing? Well, first of all, when a person is under the influence of alcohol, he tends to do some rather foolish things. The evil that is somewhat restrained in a person's heart is often unleashed when he is under the influence. Drunk people can sometimes become rather vile in their speech and conduct. They say things that they would otherwise not say. What is ordinarily locked up in their heart and mind is released from their lips. Alcohol is a way of unleashing the depravity of the heart. Proverbs 20 says, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Proverbs 23, do not look on the, on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart will utter perverse things. Or listen to Proverbs 31. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. It is not for kings to drink wine. Hear that? It's not for kings to drink wine. Belshazzar, under the influence of wine, issued the most unwise command of his life. Congregation, some of us here today could tell you stories of church members. Church members who periodically drank too much and consequently their tongues were loosed and they began to use language that dishonored the God of heaven. Some of us could tell stories about church hockey leagues in which the young men tried to demonstrate their manliness after the game by drinking. And it wasn't long before their mouths began to speak inappropriate words that belittled sacred things. When I was in Christian high school, there were a good number of students who thought that excessive drinking was pretty cool. Pretty cool. Although scripture says no drunkard will inherit the kingdom of God, 1 Corinthians 6.10, sometimes there are church members who ignore the warnings and by their subsequent conduct defy the Lord, challenge the God of scripture, and arrogantly reject his claim over their lives. Yes, covenant members, those who receive the sign of the covenant, Congregation, it was not merely the influence of wine that caused Belshazzar to order the sacred vessels of the temple. For the king, the sacred vessels symbolized the, the power of Israel's God. He knew where those vessels had come from, and he knew their significance. By using the gold and silver vessels for his drinking party, Belshazzar was deliberately mocking the God of Israel. 
He was deliberately mocking the God of Israel. After all, had not the gods of Babylon defeated him and proven their supremacy? For Belshazzar, Yahweh was a defeated deity, a wimp, a wimp. So the king ordered the golden vessels. And verse 4 says, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Belshazzar threw all decency to the wind. Along with his VIP crowd, he drunkenly sang in praise of Babylonian idols. He honored the false gods by using the temple vessels. It was a scene of drunken contempt for God. Brothers and sisters, this was not done in ignorance. This was deliberate rebellion and defiance against the Lord, a direct challenge to the God of Israel. An expression of mockery, rejection, and scorn. It was done from the arrogance of Belshazzar's heart. But as scripture says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. Congregation, it is never wise to challenge the God of heaven and earth. God is not mocked. As Belshazzar led his guests in honoring the idols of Babylon, the party was suddenly interrupted. The talking stopped. The drinking ceased. The thousand guests with their wives and concubines were shocked by what they saw on the palace wall. Four words produced stunned silence. As the king looked, his mood was suddenly changed from arrogance to astonishment. Point number two, astonishment. Verse 5 tells us that in the same hour that the king and his guests were defiling the sacred vessels, suddenly the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Suddenly and unexpectedly, a disembodied hand appeared and began to write on the wall. No one had ever seen such a sight before. It was eerie and mysterious, filling them with a deep sense of foreboding. The king himself was immediately devastated. It was like someone had tossed a bucket of ice water into his face, and he was quickly sobered up. Notice how the writer of this chapter describes his response. Look with me to verse 6. Verse 6. Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened, or his limbs gave way, and his knees knocked against each other. Were it not so serious, congregation, this would almost be comical. The great monarch of Babylon, with his face pale and his knees knocking. What has happened between verse 4 and verse 5? Why did he continue to praise his gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone? Why did the worship of the gods suddenly cease? Verse 5. 
because Belshazzar was aware of the judgment of God. You know, rebellious sinners can sometimes put on a brave front before their buddies. You've probably seen that. They sound bold at a party or at a hockey game. But their outward demonstration of manliness is often a cover, a cover for a deep-seated inward insecurity. Outwardly, they say, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. But inwardly, there are times when they fear the judgment of God. Inwardly, they know that they are not right with him and they deserve his wrath. Sometimes that fear comes upon them in a moment of tragedy or danger. It took only four words from God, and the fearless Belshazzar was overwhelmed by panic and confusion. Even though he didn't understand the meaning of the words, he knew that there was something ominous and threatening about them. He was so shattered by the sight that he was thrown into a state of what you might call temporary paralysis. The joints of his hips were loosened and his legs turned to jelly. The great king was shaken to the very core of his being. The presence of God threw him into a state of shock and mental anxiety. Belshazzar must have realized at once that there was a direct connection between his sacrilegious act against the sacred vessels and this writing on the palace wall. A direct link between his mockery and this remarkable appearance of a man's hand. And yet, congregation, although Belshazzar's bravado melted like wax before a flame, there is no reason to believe that his heart was changed in any significant way. The reason I say this is because of his response in verse 7. To whom did he turn in his time of distress? Where did he look for answers? Verse 7 says, The king cried aloud to bring in whom? The astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. He summoned all his pagan counselors, and in desperation, he promised them great rewards if they were able to read the writing and tell him its interpretation. Verse 7 goes on to say, have a look there, verse 7. Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. I mentioned to you at the beginning that Belshazzar shared the throne in a co-regency with his father, Nabonidus. That explains why he offered as a reward the position of third ruler in the kingdom. Third ruler. Nabonidus was number one, Belshazzar was number two, and the man who explained this conundrum would be number three. It was a reward that any of the wise men of Babylon would have gladly accepted the third highest ruler. The congregation Belshazzar turned to the same useless counselors who had repeatedly failed his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter 2, when Nebuchadnezzar had a dream which greatly troubled him, he called in all the wise men of Babylon. And no one was able to help him. 
And you remember that in, in his wrath, he was about to have them all put to death. But then Daniel came to the rescue and interpreted the king's dream. Then again, in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar was disturbed by another dream. Again, he called in all the wise men of Babylon, but no one could, could explain the meaning. And then at last, he called Daniel. Daniel came in, and once again, he interpreted the king's dream. The events of chapter 5 took place 42 years after the death of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel was a much older man, but he was still alive and well. Under Nebuchadnezzar, he had been promoted as chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Surely the great works of Daniel must have been remembered by many in the realm, especially by the older generation. But over the years, Daniel seems to have faded into the background. And Belshazzar did not even think of calling upon him. Instead, he turned to the same men who failed Nebuchadnezzar in his time of need. Like Nebuchadnezzar, he turned to the wisdom of the world and found it to be deficient. Verse 8 tells us that none of them were able to make known to the king its interpretation. All human resources miserably failed him so that at the end of verse 9, we see the king greatly troubled, his countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. They were all bewildered and had nothing to say. The proud, egocentric king was shriveled up into a nervous wreck. We move then from his arrogance and his astonishment to his advisor. His advisor. The confusion in the king's palace became known to others. And after a short time, the queen came to the banquet hall. We are not certain about the identity of this queen. Some think that she was the wife of Belshazzar, while others believe her to be perhaps the wife of Nebuchadnezzar. It would make sense that she was an older woman, for she was very familiar with the life of Daniel. Whoever she was, this queen seemed to have been a respected and influential lady with good judgment. Perhaps it was her wisdom that kept her away from the revelries of the evening. She came to the king to offer her advice. This queen had not forgotten Daniel. She stood before Belshazzar and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. Verse 11, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. Notice, congregation, the qualities that this woman remembered in Daniel. Rather striking. Verse 11 says he has the spirit of the holy God. What else is said of him in verse 11? In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. Verse 12, he possessed an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles and explaining enigmas. Daniel's lifestyle and character had been impressed upon this woman so that she never forgot him. 
this list of remarkable characteristics set him apart from all the wise men in the realm. Brothers and sisters, as you reflect upon these marvelous qualities that were evident in Daniel, does it not remind you of the prophetic description of the Lord Jesus Christ? Speaking of the Messiah, the prophet Isaiah said this, chapter 11, Isaiah 11, verse 2, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Daniel displayed the mind, heart, and character of Christ. Why? Because he lived in close fellowship with his Lord. People of God, as we consider this, we should ask ourselves, how do outsiders look at us? How do outsiders look at us? How are those in your community, how do they evaluate your character? What does your boss see in you? What do your employees see in you? Do they see in your conduct that you are indwelt by the spirit of the holy God? Do you have a good testimony among those who are outsiders? Are the standards of God evident in your lifestyle, in your business deals, in your work ethic, and in your speech? The reason Daniel was mightily used of the Lord in Babylon was because he strove to be godly and upright in all his endeavors. The Lord will also undoubtedly use each and every one of you, congregation, as you strive to reflect the mind, heart, and character of your Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who died for you, the one who saved you. The hymn writer said, may the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day. So the queen recounted to Belshazzar the ways in which Daniel had been a blessing in the past and Nebuchadnezzar's high regard for him. And she concluded her wise and eloquent speech with the advice that Daniel be called so that he might give the interpretation. Send for Daniel and he will tell you what the writing means. So it was that Daniel emerged from obscurity to once again become a testimony to God's power and sovereign providence in the affairs of this world. Well then, having considered the king's arrogance, number one, the king's astonishment, number two, and the king's advisor, number three, we come fourthly to his accuser. His accuser. Belshazzar heeded the wise advice of the queen, and Daniel was brought in before him. After explaining all the things that he had heard about him and informing him of the events that had so troubled the court, Belshazzar offered Daniel a handsome reward if he would do what the wise men were unable to do. Look with me in your Bibles to verse 16. Verse 16. And I have heard of you, that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Being a rich fool, 
Belshazzar assumed that wealth and prestige could buy him the answer, that Daniel would value wealth and position as much as he himself valued it. But Daniel said to the king, verse 17, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. He wasn't interested in this pagan king's wealth. He possessed superior and eternal riches through faith in the promised Messiah. He wasn't impressed by royal robes, golden chains, or high positions. He didn't want to leave the king with the impression that spiritual gifts can be used for the pursuit of material or financial gain. The spirit of the holy God cannot be bought. Spiritual gifts and servants of the Lord cannot be bought. Prophecy cannot be bought. Daniel was not some kind of a fortune teller who would gaze into a crystal ball and then charge the customer for his services. No, he was a servant of the Most High God. His ability to make known to the king the interpretation was only by his mercy. Daniel wanted God to receive the honor and praise, not himself. <laughs> Nevertheless, Daniel was willing to offer his services. Before he gave the interpretation, however, he first outlined the historical background to Belshazzar's sin. In verses 18 through 21, Daniel went back into Belshazzar's family history in order to prove to him that he was without excuse in this matter. In verse 18, Daniel said, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. Incidentally, several times in this chapter, Nebuchadnezzar is called Belshazzar's father. The word father can mean ancestor, or in this case, it was probably grandfather. At any rate, Nebuchadnezzar was a relative. Hebrews sometimes use the terms son and grandson interchangeably. Daniel reminded Belshazzar of what God had done within his own recent family history. God gave Nebuchadnezzar a glorious kingdom. Verse 19 says that all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. Nebuchadnezzar had it all. He had it all. He had the world in the palm of his hand. When he spoke, people trembled. When he commanded, it was done. He was the master of the greatest kingdom of the world. But said Daniel. Something happened. Verse 20. Verse 20. But when his heart was lifted up, became arrogant, and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Verse 21. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast. And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with 
grass like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Nebuchadnezzar failed to give glory to God. His head was puffed up with his own glory and sovereignty and he was deposed. Despite all the marvelous works of God in his life, he failed to acknowledge his hand in directing the affairs of men. He failed to give glory to God and God smote him. He was reduced to the level of the beast, eating grass and dwelling in the fields. He remained in that bestial condition Tell he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. When Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself before God, he received everything back and then some. And then he praised, honored, and worshipped the King of heaven. Now, congregation... Surely Belshazzar must have known something about Nebuchadnezzar's pride, insanity, bestial condition, humiliation, and restoration. And yet he chose to follow the same ungodly principles for which Nebuchadnezzar was severely disciplined. Ignoring his family history and the consequences of sin in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar exalted himself in pride. Brothers and sisters, how often does this also happen today? Sometimes people see the consequences of sin in their parents or grandparents. They see the misery that sin brings, and yet they choose to live by the same principles that destroy their parents or grandparents. More of that this afternoon. Belshazzar knew the past, but he thought he could escape the judgment of God. Wishful thinking. It won't happen to me. It won't happen to me. In verses 22 through 29, Daniel pronounced the divine accusation. Having reviewed his family history, Daniel said, in effect, you have no excuse. Look with me, please, to verse 22. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You knew, said Daniel. You knew, but you would not humble yourself. Would you speak such words to a king? You might end up like John the Baptist who lost his head. Daniel spoke courageously. Belshazzar committed blasphemy. He was guilty of idolatry and he refused to worship the Most High and glorify Him. He showed his devotion to powerless idols instead of Yahweh, without whom he could not so much as breathe. The end of verse 23. The God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Therefore, the writing is on the wall. Mene, mene, tekel, you farsen. It's a message of judgment. 
It was not given by the mouth of a prophet, but it was sent directly by God himself. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. You farsen, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Mene, Mene, Tekel, you farsen. Belshazzar had been weighed in the balances of God's judgment and found wanting. God weighed the kingdom's moral and spiritual qualities and determined that he would give it to the Medes and Persians. This was the final word for Babylon's spiritually reckless king. The end was near. Well, brothers and sisters, having heard the interpretation and accusation, Belshazzar did not cut off his head. He kept his word and clothed Daniel in purple, put a chain of gold around his neck, and proclaimed him third ruler in the kingdom. But dear friends, the party was over. Done. For God had spoken. The king honored Daniel, but there is not a hint that he honored God and sought repentance. It was over. That very night, Darius the Mede drained a dammed up the river that ran through the city and entered through the space provided when the water dropped. That very night, Belshazzar was slain. The name Belshazzar means Bel protect the king. Bel was the name of a Babylonian god, but Bel could not protect the king, for the Lord was against him. Congregation, if Belshazzar was terrified by the writing on the wall, imagine the absolute horror when he breathed his final breath and stood in the presence of the true and righteous king without a savior. There is only eternal misery and terror for all who reject the gospel. So the dream that Daniel had interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar years before was being fulfilled. The head of gold on that great image which represented the splendor of Babylon was crushed. Yes, the dream was being fulfilled as the troops of Darius defeated the great kingdom of Babylon. Now, brothers and sisters, as we draw this to a close, I want you to notice a very important truth. The fifth chapter of Daniel is not only about a foolish king who hardened his heart against the truth. It is that, but it is more. In the collapse of Babylon, we are reminded of the final Judgment. Throughout scripture, Babylon is a symbol of what? The powers of darkness and evil. Babylon represents the city of pride and unbelief, the arrogant city of man. Revelation 18 describes the final destruction of Babylon. Listen to Revelation 18 in verse 1. 
After these things I saw another angel come down from heaven having great authority. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, what? Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit. Verse 9, the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, saying, alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. You see, brothers and sisters, the collapse of Babylon reminds us of the collapse of all that is in opposition to God on the day of judgment. And so the destruction of Belshazzar and his kingdom is a portrait of all sinners' destinies. Evil will be judged and the unrepentant condemned. God tells us these things not because he delights in damnation, but that we might flee from the wrath to come. Flee from the city of destruction. Turn from sin and embrace the salvation that is provided in Jesus Christ. Without him, the writing is on the wall for you. Mene, mene, take out you farson. You will be weighed in the balances and found wanting. Without Jesus Christ, the sentence against Belshazzar is your sentence and mine. The inscription on the palace wall will be the inscription against you without Jesus Christ. Left to yourself, you will have nothing to say before the judgment seat. But if you're found in Christ, if his righteousness is your righteousness by faith, then you are weighed and found complete in him. Because he bore the punishment for you, you will not perish in the final collapse of Babylon. To be weighed on the scales and found acceptable is impossible. Impossible. Unless Jesus Christ has paid the price for you. Mene, Mene, take El Eupharsin is the inscription that every sinner deserves. That horrible inscription is wiped away as we receive the perfect righteousness of Jesus. The good news is that you don't have to perish in the city of destruction. Believe in Christ and rejoice in his victory over sin. Through faith, you can dwell in the city of God forevermore. Mene, mene, take El Eupharsin is wiped away by the blood of Christ. Babylon may perish, but those who are found in Jesus are Secure. And so I ask you this morning, have you repented of your sin? Have you humbled yourself before him? Have you repented of your pride? Have you trusted the Savior? He's the only and all-sufficient Savior.
Lord our God, you remind us again of our own human arrogance, the pride of our heart. By nature, we are no different than Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar or any arrogant sinner throughout the history of this world. We praise you this morning that we don't have to perish in that final destruction of Babylon. We thank you for the true king, the righteous king, the one who gave himself for us so that we may come before you spotless, that we are not weighed in the balances and found wanting, that on the contrary, we are found complete through the perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that be true for each and every person here, Lord. If there's anyone here who's not resting in Jesus Christ, we, we plead that they would learn from the arrogance of Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. That they might put their trust in the only Savior of sinners the one whose righteous rule all the forgiven will enjoy forevermore. Now we may dwell in the city of God, complete, accepted, loved. Impress the need of these things upon each of your people here, each and every one who has entered these doors, that we would not leave these doors indifferent or still filled with pride, that we may find our refuge in the blood of Christ, that we may be spared from that final destruction of Babylon. We look to you, dear Lord. We desire that you be glorified. Receive our praises as we conclude this service. In the name of King Jesus, we pray.